Well, welcome to the Crossing. So glad that you made this a part of your July 4th weekend. And when you came in, you were given a flyer for the Global Leadership Summit. The Crossing is one of 400 locations across North America that is hosting this summit this year. And this is a conference that I have gone to for the past 20 years. There's a lot of conferences I miss. I never miss this conference right here. And the reason that we are hosting this conference at the Crossing is we want to make it accessible to you. We want you to be able to be a part of this and to get plugged into this. And on top of that, we don't even, not only want to make it convenient for you, but by hosting it here at the Crossing, by being a part of the Crossing, you get a super discounted rate over the normal way if we were going someplace else. But to get that rate, you have to register by next weekend. And here's my passion. Here's my passion for you, for our church, is that we want to provide tools to maximize our influence. To maximize our influence. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. You are a leader. That you are a leader because leadership is simply defined as influence. And you have the opportunity to influence people in your life. You have that opportunity to come and impact them. And we want to do that better. We want to equip you to do that better. So we want you to be part of the Global Leadership Summit. It's going to be on a Thursday and Friday, August 11th and 12th right here at the Crossing. And sign up. And be a part of that. Well, to get us started today, I thought I would play a game with you. I don't know if you've ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie, but I'm going to give you three choices, and two of them are going to be true, and one is going to be a lie, and you're going to have to guess which is the lie. I'm going to make you vote on which one you think is the lie. So for this first one, you know, one of my jobs as a pastor is to do weddings, And when you live in Las Vegas and you're a pastor in Las Vegas, you do some of the craziest, most unique weddings that you could ever imagine. So here we go. We'll start with this game. Number one, I performed a wedding with Elvis in a helicopter. So two truths and a lie. Number two, I performed a wedding at a castle in France. And number three, I performed a wedding for a reality star on the Strip. Okay, so one of these is a lie. So who thinks number one is a lie? Okay, number one is a lie. Okay, a lot of you. How many would say number two, that number two is a lie? It's hard to believe. Um, How about number three? Think that that one is a lie. Number three is the lie. I have never done a wedding for a reality star. Those other two are true. Okay, here's this next one. Number one, I was a paper boy for a local newspaper. Number two, I was a busboy at Cracker Barrel. Number three, I worked at a women's shoe store in high school. Okay, so one of these is a lie. So how many think number one is a lie? Okay, a few of you. You can't see me ever throwing papers. Uh, Number two, busboy at Cracker Barrel. Think that one's a lie. Okay, how many think that number three is a lie? Okay, so you know me well. Number two is the lie on this one. Number two is the lie. I was never a busboy at Cracker Barrel just because I came from the Midwest doesn't mean I worked at Cracker Barrel. I just ate there all the time. Okay, last one. Last one. Lee Coates' mother was an author for Harlequin romance novels. Okay, number two. Scott Whaley went undercover with Metro Vice Squad and participated in a sting operation. Number three. I played in the Little League Baseball National Championship. Okay, so how many think it's number one? How many think that number one is a lie? Okay, how many think it is number two? 
And how many think it's number three? Wow, a bunch of you haters on me. (laughs) All of those are true. Every one of those are true. Every single one. Well, this is a fun game to play, but have you ever been around someone Have you ever been around someone where you're constantly playing that game because no matter what they say, you don't know whether they're saying the truth or they're saying a lie? You don't know whether what's coming out of their mouth is really true or not. Or they say that they will do something, and you don't know whether they will end up doing it or not. We live in a world of promises. The money in your wallet is called a promissory note. That means if I pay you, I'm promising to pay my debts with this. It's a promissory note. When you sign a credit card receipt, What you're saying is, I promise to pay. A promise in a a company is called a contract. A contract says, I will if you will, and people break contracts all the time. You're only bound to a contract as long as everyone else keeps their end of the contract. Well, today we're looking at a parable where Jesus addresses when sometimes we do this with God. When we say one thing, but we do something else. This last weekend, we kicked off our series on parables. and I'm excited about this series because there's just something about these stories that Jesus told, these greatest stories of all time. And Jesus would tell parables to help people understand some things. These are made-up stories. Jesus made these stories up to help us understand the kingdom of God, to help us understand how God thinks. What God thinks about you, how God values you, how God reacts in situations. Jesus would use these stories to help us understand spiritual truths. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to to Matthew chapter 21. And let me give you the setting of this parable right here. The setting of this parable is it is the last week of Jesus' life. And Jesus has just come down on the triumphal entry. Remember, he's on the donkey. There's thousands of people. This is on Palm Sunday who are saying Hosanna. And Jesus comes immediately down from the triumphal entry. And he goes into the temple and he clears out the temple of the money changers. He gets rid of them. And the religious leaders ask Jesus, by what authority do you do this? By by whose authority do you do this? And Jesus says, okay, I'll answer your question if you answer my question. They said, okay, go for it. It says, John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? And they said, well, we need to get together and we need to talk about this one. Jesus says, well, you just take your time. You take your time. Well, as they're beginning to talk about they said, if we say from heaven, then Jesus is going to ask us why we didn't obey God. But if we say that John's baptism was from man, then we're going to start a riot because so many of the people believe that, that John the Baptist came from God. And so they came to Jesus and they said, well, we don't have an answer for you. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to answer your question either. But then Jesus goes on to tell three parables back to back to back. And this is the first parable. Matthew 21, we're going to start in verse 28. Jesus says this. He says, what do you think? Now, this was a common introduction of a teacher. As he's trying to engage his students, he would often say, okay, I want you to be a part of this. So, so what do you think? He says, there was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? Notice what Jesus asked. Which of the two did 
what the father wanted, not which of these two was a better son. This is one of the parables that I did not understand for the longest time. I have never heard a message on this parable. Maybe you haven't either. I did not understand this parable because many times in parables, you have a good character and you have a bad character. There is not a good character in this parable. There's not a good one. Jesus' parable is not a choice between good and bad. Jesus' parable is a choice between two bads, between two evils. In Middle Eastern culture, to speak back to your father was scandalous. It was perhaps worse than disobedience. For this culture, it was better to disobey than to speak against your father. And one son in this parable, one son speaks back at the father, but then he obeys. The other son says what he thinks the father wants to hear, and then he disobeys. Well, Jesus now is going to apply this parable. He says, which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. You know who the you is he's talking to. This is the religious leaders. These are the religious elites. Jesus says the tax collectors and sinners are going to enter the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes were thought of the worst, were thought as the worst of sinners in this culture right here, that they were hated and despised. And Jesus says that the worst of sinners will enter the kingdom of heaven ahead of all of you religious people. Jesus is so brilliant as he teaches this. Because this simple story has some profound truths. Because the religious leaders would have looked at themselves as being good. And they would have looked at at the prostitutes and the tax collectors as being bad. And Jesus says, you are both bad. That neither of you can get to heaven on your own. That neither of you are good enough to earn your way to heaven. That the only way we get to heaven is by God's grace. This parable right here, it's a parable about obedience. It's not just saying the right thing. It is doing the right thing. I am the youngest kid of four kids. How many here are youngest born? Okay, we need to stick together because we don't get any respect as youngest borns, do we? You know, nobody thinks that you can get anything done. We just need to stick together. Well, if you're the youngest born of of a number of kids, let's say three or more, what you understand is your parents just get tired after a while. And by the time you come along, they're just tired of parenting. So, I mean, you just kind of do your own thing. You can get away with a lot more than your older siblings could get away with. Well, this was the case with my parents. My parents were just tired. They were just done with parenting. And I watched the way that my brothers and sister would interact with my parents. They would always fight with them. There would always be some fight. Well, that's not fair. And there would be doors that would slam. And they would yell at my mom and dad. And I had this philosophy as a teenager. And let me just tell you, if you are a teenager right now, this is not a good philosophy, okay? This is not the take-home for today. So don't do this. But my philosophy was, well, I'm just going to say whatever they want to hear, and I'm just going to go do what I want because they're too tired anyway. They're not going to know, so it doesn't matter. Well, this is what the religious leaders were doing, that they were like the son in Jesus' story who would say all the right things. 
but then disobeyed the Father. They acted religious. But when John the Baptist came along and said, you need to repent, you need to turn back to God, they didn't think it applied to them. They thought they were so good that this didn't apply to them. But the tax collectors and prostitutes, they were like the other son. They were like the scandalous son who talked back to the father because they had these scandalous lives. And then when John the Baptist told them, you need to repent for the kingdom is near, they did. And they started coming towards God. They started hanging around Jesus because Jesus would accept them, that they found life through Jesus. And this parable right here, this parable should challenge every one of us who consider ourselves a mature believer. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But I think this parable offers incredible hope for those of you who may be new to Christianity. Or maybe you're investigating the whole church thing. Maybe the reason that you left church or you never felt welcome in church is because you had a divorce in your past or you had an addiction or you had a sin or you had a past that you just couldn't get past. It felt scandalous and people judged you and they said, you're not welcome here. You might have come from a toxic church. They said, don't come here. You're not welcome here. Or maybe you just judged yourself. You thought, if God could love me, if God could love me, those people couldn't. And so you just stayed away for a long time, maybe years. And you carry that baggage and you carry that pain. And you're just beginning to take these steps back wondering, could you be welcome? Could God welcome you? See, this parable gives us hope. Because whatever scandalous past that you think that you might have, at the point that you turn towards Christ, at the point that you start taking some steps towards Jesus, he never says, go away. It's the Father running out to you to have a relationship with you. That God doesn't desire perfect people because none of us are perfect. God desires obedient people. God is the God of new beginnings. And for some of you, today could be the day of a new beginning in your life, a new beginning of what God might do in you today. But this parable, this parable that Jesus told, this is directed towards the religious. He told this parable directed towards the religious. Remember, this is the group who questioned Jesus' authority. And Jesus' response to them questioning his authority was to tell this parable. He says to them, he says, you are like the son who says the right thing, but doesn't obey. You, you are the ones that you say what you think God wants to hear. And then you just go live your life however you want. You're disobedient. See, here's the big idea of this parable. The big idea of this parable is that your life is greater than your words. That your life is greater than your words. And you might say, well, do my words not matter? We know that words matter. We know that words have lasting impact. We know that words have the power of life and death. We know that our words matter. But this parable right here, Jesus is teaching us that your life is greater than your words. See, it's not just those who talk the right talk who honor God. It's those who walk the right walk. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. 
He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus says, your life is greater than your words. It's not just what you say, it's that your life behind it. There's a story in the Old Testament about King Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And this story in 1 Samuel chapter 15 is kind of the last straw. This is the last straw where God, finally, you see the turning point in his life, and it goes downhill from here. That God wanted Saul to destroy a group of people called the Amalekites. The Amalekites were were enemies of Israel because of what they had done to the Israelites. So God sent the prophet Samuel to Saul, and he says, I want you to tell Saul, I want you to totally destroy all that belongs to them. Every man, woman, child, cattle, sheep, camels, donkeys, everything destroyed. So, Paul put, so Saul puts his, his army together, and he goes out to battle, and he attacks the Amalekites. And during the battle, at the height of the battle, they capture the king. Now, the king would have been, this would have been a normal tactic that you capture the king, and then the army just kind of falls apart. So they capture the king, and then... They bring back the best sheep and the best cattle. And they destroyed all of the weak ones and the ones that had no value. And God says to the prophet Samuel, he says, I regret that I ever made Saul king. It's powerful that God regrets that he ever made Saul the king. And Samuel shows up to Saul and he goes, so how did it go? And Saul says, well, it went great. I carried out the Lord's instructions. But as he's saying, I carried out the Lord's instructions, in the background, it's bad. I carried out the bad. And it says that the sheep are then, you can hear the cattle lowing. I don't know what cattle lowing sounds like, so you might have to make your own sound. I don't know if that's mooing or something different. But as he's saying this, the sheep are, are making noise and the, the cattle are lowing. And Sam is like, I, I'm hearing something. And Saul says, I've got good news. We brought the best sheep and cattle back so we could sacrifice them to the Lord. That I carried out the, I carried out the Lord's instructions so I could bring them back and we can sacrifice these to the Lord. And we destroyed everything else. Sammy goes, so you didn't obey God? He goes, no, no, no. No, no, no. We, we did this so we could worship God. We wanted to worship God. And then one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible right here. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Saul tries to justify his disobedience by saying, The reason I did it is so I could worship God. There's a good reason why I disobeyed God. It's so I could worship God. And I think so many times we kind of have this mentality that, you know, well, here's what I'm bringing to God. And our worship, it can become hollow and pointless if our hearts don't change and our lives don't reflect his will. Do you know what you call 95% obedience? You call it 100% disobedience. 95% obedience is 100% disobedience. You can't claim to be following God's leading and be disobedient to his word. That your life is greater than your words. 
Do you want to know what we call this when you turn it the other direction? When your life is less than your words, we call this religion. See, that's what religion is. When your life is less than what you say, we call that religion. Say, well, I'm generous, but on the inside, you are just consumed by greed. That's religion. Say, well, yeah, yeah, I know about forgiving, but you hold this bitterness in your heart that you cannot get past. That maybe you, you feel like you're humble, but on the inside there is pride that is overtaking you, and it's, it's affecting every single relationship you, you have. When your life is less than your words, it's religion. That's what religion is. And in our parable, Jesus is talking to the religious. And here's what's interesting. Is nobody would label themselves religious. You know, when you hear that word, none of us think, oh, he's talking about me. Because none of us think that. Everybody thinks that you're talking about someone else. And Jesus is saying that the non-religious, the outsiders, the least of these are actually more like Christ because they obey him. Here's what Brendan Manning says. Brendan Manning is a, a fantastic author. He writes this. He says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. James, the brother of Jesus, said it like this. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the perfect law, just think of the scriptures. He's talking about the scriptures. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. He says that blessings come from doing it, from obeying it. James says that when you do this, this is what brings freedom. See, my hunch is, is that there's a lot of us that don't associate God's word with freedom. When I was growing up, I used to think you could sum up scripture in one word. Just no. Well, what's God think of that? No. God, how do you feel about this? No. And then I grew up, and you begin to see that God's word provides freedom for us. That the limitations of, of what God says, they provide freedom. When I was a kid, my dad used to give me a dollar for my allowance. And he taught me from the very beginning, he says, we give 10% back to God. We honor God with the first. And so I would take a dime to church every week, and I would give my offering. And see, when, when you take a dime, it's a lot easier to take a dime when all you have is a dollar than the first time you get a real paycheck, and you're like, what? God wants my first? What are you talking about? It doesn't even make sense to me. But this has been the pattern of my life since the time I was a boy, that our first always goes to God, that our first 10% goes to God. It's been the pattern of my life. It's been the pattern of my marriage. It's been the pattern of our family. And I have experienced financial freedom in a way that many other people don't. And it's not because I'm smarter. It's because God's word is true. And when you begin to put God's word into your life, it brings freedom for us. God's word teaches us to forgive. And some of you, you hear that and you go, well, if you knew my story, if you knew what they did to me, if you knew what they said to me, you wouldn't say that. But when you begin to release that bitterness and you begin to forgive, it brings freedom. 
God's word says that sexual intimacy is for marriage. And our world hears that and they're like, oh, that's so outdated. Our world hears that and go, really? I mean, come on. That's not even realistic anymore. But here's what we know from God's word is that purity, God's calling us to have a pure life. That purity leads, leads to intimacy, true intimacy. And when you begin to cut God's way out of it, you, you cut all of the freedom that God has given us out of it. That God's word brings freedom, that your life is greater than your words. Your life is greater than your words. See, this parable is directed towards two groups of people. And I want to talk to both groups right now. First group that I would like to talk to are those of you who feel like an outsider. You're not a follower of Jesus yet, but you think you're ready. You might be ready. Maybe you've been hurt by the church or you've been disappointed by Christians. That you've had a past that just seemed in such a way you can't quite get past it. You don't know what to do with it. But you love God. And you're here because you're wondering if you could have a relationship with Jesus. Here's what you need to hear right now. Jesus says the kingdom of God is for you. For you. The outsiders, the scandalous, the ones who thought that they weren't quite good enough. And maybe today is the day you will start a relationship with Jesus. And in a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to take a step of faith. Second group, those of us who have been followers of Jesus, many of us for many years, our entire life. But there is an area of your life that's not surrendered to him. It's like you've got all of these things that are surrendered to him, but there is this one area out there that you have not surrendered to him. There's this area that God is calling you to be obedient. Maybe you've made this commitment to God. Maybe it was one of those panic commitments. God, if you get me out of this, I will. But then you begin to forget about it. In your life, those of us who are followers of Christ in your life, where is God waiting for you to be obedient? God's just waiting. See, almost every time that God does something big in the Bible, it follows obedience. That God waits for obedience and then he acts. To obey is better than sacrifice. So here's what I want to do. I just want you to bow your heads. And I want to give you an opportunity to make a step closer to Jesus right now. For those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, but you think that you're ready, I want you just to pray this prayer just silently. This is between you and God. Say, God, today, I surrender my life to Jesus, my entire life. I am making Jesus my Lord and my Savior. I'm asking you that you would forgive my sins and give me a brand new start. For those of you who are followers of Christ and there is this area in your life that's not yet been surrendered to him, I want to give you an opportunity to do that now. And I want you just, between you and God, just name that area. 
What is that area for you? Name it to God. And tell him your desire to surrender that to him.